You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Well, hey, uh, good evening, everybody. You guys all awake tonight? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, if you're new with us today, if you're just visiting, um, if I've never gotten the opportunity to meet you, my name is Joe, one of the leaders here, and uh, we're getting ready to dive back into the Gospel of Luke this evening. We've uh, been in the Gospel of Luke for well over a year now. We're in Luke chapter 12, so you might begin turning there now. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, we'll be in verses 13 through 21. And uh, we have chosen to take just a real long and slow study through the Gospel of Luke because we just believe that we need to just slowly saturate in who Jesus is. Uh, I remember riding back from Colorado uh, about a year and a half ago with a friend of mine named Dale. And uh, I remember just wrestling through with him what might be the next best series to go into. And we, uh, we were thinking, I know some of our leaders were thinking maybe we would go into maybe Ephesians or Colossians. I think we were just wrapping up James, if I remember right. And um, as, as Dale and I were talking and just kind of chopping this up in terms of where our church family is and what it looks like to be a church plant that is growing and so on and so forth, it just seemed right to go into the Gospel of Luke and just really slowly um, marinate almost like a slow cooker in... Uh, in who Jesus is. And so that this is the reason why we're in Luke's gospel, and the, it's the reason we'll be in there for probably well over another year, I would, I would assume. And so, uh, so I'm just glad to look out and see you guys here tonight, too. Um, let me read, if you follow along with me in your Bibles. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Bow your heads with me. I'd like to pray before I begin to preach. Father, as we come before you this evening and as we gather together as a church with your word open in front of us when we we beg you to release your spirit to be on the move in our midst <coughs> lord we ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to our minds, and that you would challenge us. Lord, I pray that you would just be very present to help us hear from you. And Lord, I just, I just need to confess and, and admit to you, and I think to everyone here too, my fears. I just need to confess, Lord, my fear of standing here uh, on this stage with your word open and, and your people gathered here and my inability to say anything that would make any sense, number one, and say anything that would bring any attention or in glory or honor to you, number two. And so, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would be so present 
Lord, that you would help me as I speak. Lord, I pray that there would be a sense of vulnerability and transparency uh, in this message um, that would help all of us to see what it looks like and what it means to really treasure you above all other things. I know that there are some of us that are gathered here that um, we have treasured, all of us here have, have really treasured so many things we have not treasured you. So, Lord, as, as, as I preach my way through this text, I pray that, that you would just speak. I pray, Lord, uh, I think as David said in the Psalms, that you would take the meditations of my heart, the things that I've been thinking about in regards to this text, and that you would take the words that come out of my mouth as I've prepared them in my notes. And, and I pray, God, that they would be yours and not mine alone. And so, guys, pray those things. I pray, Lord, that you, as your word said, that you would just be powerful in weakness. And I pray that you would help us all to see just how weak we are and how needy we are for you. So, Lord, I pray those things. Trust you to do them. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. <clears throat> so, as I studied my way through this, this section of scripture this last week, um, I guess I was just kind of struck with uh, the theme of foolishness throughout this text. And, uh, and, and I began to ask this question in, in my mind. What, is it, what, is it, what does it look like um, to be a fool? And, and, and in what ways have, have I been foolish? And in, and in what ways does the Lord need to just speak uh, to my heart and to my life and to the way that I have been living um, what, what are the ways in which he maybe wants to maybe call out some of the foolish ways that I have thought about him and others? What, what are some of the, the ways that he um, really wants to just kind of dive into and kind of peer into and kind of peel back the layers of the foolishness that are just, that's just like buried deep within my heart? And that's so I begin to think about this theme of foolishness kind of held in the same tension with this concept of what it means to actually treasure the Lord. And I think a lot of what I began to realize as I struggled my way through the study of this text is that there are, there are so many ways that if I were to make a, a list of all the ways that I have been foolish, uh, it, it, I think it, I feel like it would fill a phone book. And, and I don't know if maybe you're in the same place tonight as maybe where I'm at, um, um, but, but as I come to this text and as I think about talking to you guys about... Um, what it looks like to be foolish, and then what it looks like for the Lord to really challenge us through the message of the gospel to live lives that are like foolish people who treasure God, I, I feel really uh, inadequate. <clears throat> and, and if I'm going to be really honest and just completely stray from my notes and kind of give you um, <clears throat> a couple of freebies, praying that the freebies that I give are not self-centered in any way, but that are really um, maybe just maybe where I need to be tonight. Um, Maybe I just need to confess to you guys that I've been, I've been really foolish like for all my life. And I look back over this past 12 months. I don't know if you guys ever do that where you take a survey, survey over the last 12 months of your life and you say like, where the, where the heck have I been? What's been going on? I don't know if you ever have those moments where you're able to just kind of sit maybe outside in your garage like I do and, and take a few moments and just kind of chill and take some time and just kind of look within and say, heart, where have you been? Soul, where have you been? Mind, what have you been thinking? life, how have you been living? I don't know if you take those moments, but I, I guess I've been kind of there um, for the last um, probably few months. And I think some of what the Lord has been revealing to me in my heart has just been really uh, offensive, if I could be really honest. Um, I'll take you back a couple of years for some of you that may have been here for a while and it's going to kind of track my way forward. And then hopefully we're going to get to what I actually have in the notes. And if we run out of time, we run out of time. And I just pray that the Lord encourages you, but challenges you, and that somehow connects to this text. A friend of mine named Chris um, is a really good friend. And I remember going through a really, really difficult season um, where some people that I was really close to, we became um, enemies. And, and it was really hard. And I remember one of the things that Chris said to me in that season. He said, Joe, I don't ever want to see you lose the vulnerability that you walk around with. 
he just says, you are the kind of guy that walks around with kind of your heart on your shirt sleeve. He goes, but the way that you do that is that you do that in such a way that says, God, I really need you. I don't ever lose that. And that now flip forward to like 12 months ago. And I'm, I'm going to be really honest. And if we need to strike this from our podcasting, that's fine. And if you guys feel like I need to be let go after this and never come back, that's fine too. But 12 months ago, um, like some things happened in relationship with a really close friend of mine. And uh, there were things that were happening in his life. And, and I had kind of a focus on what it means to plant a church. Um, for a long time, I've been dreaming because God, I felt, had been calling me to start a church out of the middle of nothing. And really, the only person that I know of that ever actually took nothing and then made it into something is God himself. And so part of the hardship, I think, in planting a church as a church planter, just moments of confession, if you guys can hear this and hopefully make connections again. A part of the, uh, part of the difficulty in that as a church planter then is that I have a picture in my head of what I hope that our church will become someday. And then there's, there's all these, like, um, there's all these benchmarks. There's all these seasons and times where you feel like we arrived, we made it, right? And then there's other times of, like, really deep frustration where you kind of wish, like, when are we going to get there? <laughs> like, when is this going to finally go the way we wish it would? And so I think in the midst of just wrestling through some of those things in my heart, I begin to treasure something other than Christ. Uh, maybe I begin to treasure maybe the picture of what a church that it becomes planted actually looks like and behaves like. Um, and, I, and I think in the process that I become, I, I get impatient. And, and so for those of you that have been around for a while, <clears throat> you don't have to be around here much longer than maybe a few weeks to um, probably see some of my shortcomings and some of my failures. Like you can see frustration on my face. Um, you can tell I'm a guy that wants to get there. I'm really goal-oriented. Uh, for those of you that are part of my gospel community, I know this has already been the last couple of weeks, just kind of like deep confessional stuff. And so this is kind of the outflow of that. Um, but I keep finding that this goal-oriented side of me, which keeps me moving forward and keeps me leading and keeps me out in front of everybody else and trying to lead the way, can also be a guy who kind of drives like a boss. There's a difference between a leader and a boss. The leader gets out front and leads, says, this is the way we go. And they, they say charge, right? But a boss stands behind somebody and cracks a whip. And, and there's a big difference. And so sometimes I can, I, I just, when, I, when I'm living in an unhealthy place in my heart, when I'm not treasuring Christ above all other things, I can become that person that drives. And, and, and listen, I think sometimes like if you read the prophets in the Old Testament or if you read Jesus in the Gospels, right? Or you read Paul in some of the epistles, I think you're going to find that in, in, in some places, these men, these biblical characters that we um, learn about, you're going to see them driving too at times. You're going to see prophets standing on street corners, crying out at the top of their lungs, screaming and yelling, saying very offensive things like, please come back to the Lord. And so, and so it's not that we don't get passionate. It's not that we don't drive and push and hope for holiness. And in fact, I just heard a guy say this weekend that if in the midst of planting a church, starting a church from nothing, if in the midst of that, a bunch of people gather in a space and a place who are not being changed and transformed, they're not changing. If there's no change, no gospel transformation that is coming out of that, then it's, it's not a church. It's just merely a group of people who are gathering because of a great teacher some good music, and some great coffee. And I guess that's some of the tension that I wrestle with deep down inside. And when I hear guys talk about what it means to start a church from, from nothing and then move to a place of sustainability and actual bona fide gospel ministry in a community. And when I say that, I'm, what I'm not talking about is I'm not talking again about, about people gathering on a Sunday night or people gathering in gospel communities. I'm talking about people that have truly, authentically come to know Jesus and are clinging to the cross of Christ for everything because they've realized that everything else in life is completely foolish. That we, we've come face to face with those terms and we've thrown up a white flag and we've surrendered, so to speak, to the message of the gospel which says that, man, God created you and me to live a certain way, and because of the fall, because of Adam and Eve and what happened there, because of sin, which runs rampant in this world, we have all lived in such foolish ways that, that, that actually to even use the word foolish is actually to dumb it down some because we've actually lived horrendously. 
And yet, despite that, God in his sovereignty and his awesomeness and his loving kindness and his generosity sent his son Jesus, who willingly went to the cross like a sheep, who was perfect. He died a horrendous death so that you and I could have those opportunities to say, hey, I've lived foolish, I've lived sinfully, and I just need Jesus to save me and change me. That's the message that that must uh, permeate and characterize who we are as a church. And and what that means is that means that the, the disciples should be made. And not disciples that are perfect, okay? I mean disciples who who are still struggling with the war against sin deep down inside of their hearts and lives and are simultaneously clinging to the cross of Christ, understanding and knowing and believing and trusting that the only thing that can save us and change us, the only thing that makes this life worthwhile, the only thing that gives us purpose whatsoever is Christ. That's, that's to treasure Christ. But if, but if I'm to be honest, like at times that really impatient side of me can set in. And... And because I can become very impatient, because I begin to treasure maybe what I see in my mind, and I think, well, that's got to be what God sees in his mind. Like somehow I arrogantly begin to think and privately begin to think that I know everything that God wants to see happen. And when it doesn't happen the way that I think God thinks it should happen, then I get really ticked. and I get really impatient. I begin to push harder. And so then about a year ago, a good close friend of mine that was part of this church for a while and took his family and left. And, and, and to be honest, there were things in his life that, that were not right. And that, that should be a no-brainer for any of us, right? Yet the pace that he was uh, a pursuing transformation and sanctification and change in his life, I think at times for me was not fast enough. And I, and I think that in that relationship, I think I was hurt by some things that happened too. And I think I begin to live out of that hurt and that pain rather than living out of being healed and set free by the gospel. So it would be much easier for me to stand here and make lists of things that maybe my friend did wrong, right? So my point is, as I stand in this pulpit tonight on this stage getting ready to preach to you guys about what it means to be foolish, I feel really inadequate. Last week alone, I had, I had three meetings with three of you, and please hear me. I had three meetings with three of you who were really struggling with sexual sin. And, and by the time I think I got to meeting number three, which I didn't know was going to happen, it was kind of a last spur of the moment, hey, can I just meet with you this morning? Yeah, sure. I want to serve. I think I was done. Like, I was ready to quit. Like, like, I was in a place where I didn't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of the hurt. I'm tired of the pain. And, and, and I was frustrated and impatient, and I'm tired of crying out to the Lord, God, please make change in people's lives. Like, is there anybody else that will show up every week other than me? If, if I go away today, will this church exist tomorrow? Is there anybody else that takes as seriously as I do the move of the gospel in our community? Or is it just me? Am I it? Like, this is where my heart was. I'm not, not, not trying to say that what I'm preaching is right or what I'm saying is right. I'm just confessing. This is where my heart is and has been for quite some time. Like, I feel alone. I feel really alone. And honestly, I don't really know how to lead forward. I don't really know how to lead out of that. I feel like my job as a shepherd is to stand in front of you guys and to lead and model by example. And to be there to counsel and to coach and to have my phone on all night so that somebody can call if there's an issue. And to preach truthfully and to preach well. And then I think I feel sometimes like... Like all the different areas I think of ministering our church where things need to happen. If, if I was not um, heavily invested somehow in all those areas, they wouldn't happen. 
And then when it comes time for correction, when, when someone is just erring and walking sinfully and, and not willing to repent and confess, then I feel like I've got to be the guy that comes in and kind of lays the smack down. I need to, I need to add correction. And then if you don't listen to the correction I give you, now I've got to ramp it up a little bit more. And, and so I, what I'm laying before you is not a woe is me, poor pitiful me pastoral thing. I'm, I want to confess that this is where my heart has been. And it's not a good place to be. I think I began to hide in my, um, I began to hide in my notes and in my study, wanting to get every word just right. There are a number of people who have taken some pretty heavy shots at me over the last year. And one of my biggest fears is rejection. Like, I, I want people to like me. Like, I, I really want to be liked. Really, really, really bad. And I don't have a lot of friends. I really don't. I call all of you my friends, just like Jesus would say. I, I, I don't have maybe the pastor that I get to go to and kind of dump my life on and say, man, I need help here. I don't, I don't have as much of that. Um, we came through Pastor Appreciation Month, and nobody ever said anything to me. And it was kind of like somebody missed Father's Day. So I'm really just trying to confess a lot of things to you guys. And I don't, what I don't want is I really don't want there to be a heavy weight of guilt. So that's not what this is about. This is really about where my heart has been. I think I really thought that when I got into planting a church and studying the scriptures on a weekly basis that I thought there would be like radical transformation. I thought that maybe like guys that struggled in sleeping with their girlfriends and looking at porn would just stop. And we could say, glory to God. But you know what I really wanted? I think I really wanted to be able to say, look at how good of a pastor I am. But that guy stopped. If I'm going to be really, really honest. The deep down inside, I struggle with just as much idolatry as the next person does. I've lost friendships. I've had some people say some really horrible things about me. And I've been in meetings where, I've been in meetings where guys were with, when I challenge them with what's happening in their lives, I fear for my life. We're like, I'm alone in that meeting. I've been threatened. I've received nasty messages. I've received nasty messages at two o'clock in the morning. You know what I treasure more than Christ? It's myself. That's, that's the issue with all of us. Is that we oftentimes treasure our own thinking, our own plans, and our own dreams more than we treasure Christ alone. We just, we just sang this song tonight. And as I'm singing this song, I'm, I'm kind of remembering, and we sang this song in Christ alone. I'm kind of remembering all the times we've sang that song. And I thought, soul, how many times have you sang this song in Christ alone, which is really speaking about treasuring Christ alone when you really weren't treasuring Christ alone. And you were really just wondering, is everybody else here treasure Christ at all? you hear the bitterness in that thought? I don't know if you can hear the bitterness in the thought that I just conveyed. My heart has been in a really difficult place over the last year. I think I'm really worn out. I think I'm really burned out. And I think what I need more than anything else is for Christ to show up miraculously, massively, and powerfully. And I think one of the ways that Jesus wants to show up tonight for us is just confronting the foolishness in each of us. And you might say, like another Debbie Downer message? You might say, I came here to get encouraged. And here's my hope. My hope is that that, that you guys would understand that as I preach this message, I preach this as a person that is every bit as, as in need of what this text says and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us, I'm just as much in need as anybody else in this room. And, and what I never want to become is that person that like 
stiff arms like the move of God. Like, I don't want to be that person where when somebody comes and says, hey, man, like, this is where I think you've been. I don't want to be that guy who just gets up and walks out of the room and is like, screw you, dude. I ain't listening to you anymore. I don't want to be that guy. I also don't want to be the guy that gets rejected all the time because I already told you acceptance is a big deal for me. The reality is that Christ was rejected in ways that far surpass any of the rejection that either you or I will face. He was mistaken in far more grotesque ways than you or I will ever be mistaken. And so, so, so we, don't, we, don't, we don't lean into that to crush us. We, we lean into that to say, my God, my Savior, my Christ, the Messiah who hung on a cross face far worse than I will ever face. And therefore, I can find hope in that. I can find joy in that. You think about this word treasure. When you're seeking for something that you have treasured forever, you think about that, that brand new car you've always wanted. You think about the new spouse that you're getting ready to have. You think about, you think about the family conflict that you wish would just go away tomorrow. You think about, in my case, the oh so great, beautiful, overflowing 400 member church that is no longer a church plant, but is now planting another church because disciples are just getting after the gospel message, right? Whatever Whatever it is that you treasure, whatever it is that you see in your head as being that preferable future, that that place of heaven in which you wish to get to, whatever that is, take that away and replace it with Christ. That's the message of this text. And that, that, that should bring up joy. That should bring up joy and encouragement in our hearts as we begin to realize that even though we have treasured things that are not Christ, they they may have been good and godly things that we treasured, but we treasured them without treasuring the presence of Christ. That what should encourage us is the fact that Jesus is still there. What should encourage us is the fact that Jesus never leaves us, never forsakes us. He, he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and if he has saved you, if you have heard his voice, though you may not have acted like you loved him yesterday, last week, a minute ago, if you know deep down inside that he loves you and that he treasured you so much that he made this plan from before the foundations of the earth, I want you to think about this. Like you and I make plans to pay off our house so that we can live in heaven then. You and I, we make plans to, to buy the new car. We make plans to finally get into a relationship. We make plans to pay off our debt. We make these plans and we live them out for a few weeks, few months, few years. But Jesus made a plan to save you and I because he treasured us. He treasured us. Why? Because he wanted to bring glory to his father. You and I were created to glorify our father in heaven. And yet we live in ways that do not glorify him. Yet we live that way. Jesus came and made this plan. For eons he made this plan. Eons he knew. Like like God is sovereign. He knew every day, every moment, every sin you would make. And the kind of treasure that Jesus is talking about in this passage is that kind of treasure. Our Father has treasured us. And yet in this text, we have to deal with this issue of being foolish. Before I dive back into the notes, let me make this final statement. If there is anything that I have said up to this point that you have mistaken, if any of my confession to you comes across wrong, if you're you're walking around now feeling guilty, I'm just going to say, Like, in the name of Jesus, let that be gone. Like, I'm not much for the whole Pentecostal, let's just speak these, but I know that we can come in the name of Jesus and powerfully speak against the demonic pressures that come against us. So let me just speak against that. Like, my moment of confession is for you to understand that I'm just as human and just as much in need of Jesus as you are. And all of us have shortcomings that rub on each other. And we all fail and miss the mark and miss the expectations. Every one of us does. 
Like, I've failed you guys just as much as I think anybody else in this room may have failed me. And the reason that that bothers me is because in that moment I'm treasuring myself rather than treasuring Christ. I'm worried about how I feel. I'm worried about how this may make me look. I'm worried about getting left out. I'm worried about not getting to the in crowd. I'm worried about not being light. And those are all things that are contrary to Christ himself. So here's the deal, right? It's not easy to admit to being a fool. We don't typically walk around claiming to be fools. And in fact, it kind of seems to be like counterproductive to wisdom for us to say, hey, I've been really foolish today. Let me tease this out a little bit with a couple of questions. Three key questions. Number one, what does your life revolve around? Think about this for a minute. What does your life revolve around? If someone were to describe your life, how would they characterize what is important to you? How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? What consumes your thinking? What do you complain about? What frustrates you? When you're in the back room talking trash about somebody else, what are you saying? And what does that say about you? What are your deepest dreams? What do you dream about the most? What does your life revolve around? Key question number two is what is it that soothes your soul? What brings soothing to your soul? What, what do you, what, when, when the wheels fall off the bus, when life gets hard, when things get difficult, what is it that you turn to to gain your comfort? What do you look to for peace? What calms you down? What do you lust after? What, do you, what, what dominates your thinking and your dream life? What do you hope for? What do you want to accomplish? What is it that you believe will bring soothing to your soul? Like when, you're, when your soul is all up in an uproar and you can't even think straight, what is it that you do? What do you believe will actually bring soothing to your soul? When life is full of conflict, when fear raises its ugly head deep inside of you, what is it that you believe will bring soothing to you? And number three, question number three, what is your greatest treasure? What is your greatest treasure? And this really is probably the central question of the entire text, if I'm to be honest. What is it that you treasure? What do you hold dear to you? What do you fear losing? What would you die to protect? What is the most valuable thing that you have that you would, that you would die on a mountaintop for? What would you be willing to pay a lot for? What do you invest yourself in? What is your greatest treasure? See, the problem for us sometimes is this. The problem is that sometimes we are foolish with our lives. If people actually mirror back to us what we think is so important to us, we might be horrified or even completely offended at what we heard. And if we, if we kept a time card of the way that we spent all of our time throughout the day, every moment, every second, every minute, every hour of our lives, we might be overwhelmed by the gross misuse of our time due to the foolish focus of our lives. But if we recorded like every purchase that we ever made, every penny that we spent, we might be overcome with the reality of our foolish investments. But if every thought that passed through our minds was posted up on a TV screen for the entire world to see, we might be really ashamed of the foolishness of our finite and sinful thinking patterns. But if every complaint that was uttered in darkness, behind closed doors, if that could be revealed, we'd be found out to be super foolish people in terms of how we see our lives or existence on this earth. And if our deepest dreams or our deepest fantasies were made into paintings, we might be ashamed of the foolishness of our deepest desires. And the reality is this. Again, sometimes, sometimes we have been foolish with our lives. And this text really addresses this problem. If you look back at the scripture with me, Jesus addresses this issue in verses 13 through 15. We read this. We read that someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. Here's the key phrase. You can underline this. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
Jesus teaches us in these verses that a fool's life revolves around his possessions or it's driven by his possessions or it's consumed by his possessions or, or controlled by his possessions. And it's interesting to note that, that even though Jesus, the Son of God, is standing right there in the flesh, physically in the crowd, the first thing that jumps out of this dude's mouth is, Hey, Jesus. Hey, Jesus, yo, me over here, hello. Can you uh, tell my brother to quit hoarding all the inheritance? Are you telling him to split that thing with me? He's been awfully selfish, Jesus. Like this man has been thinking about the fact that he was left out. Like put yourself in his place for a moment, right? Put yourself in his place. Like just, just pretend like you're this guy. There's a massive inheritance. Your brother has chosen to give you zero of that inheritance. How do you feel? What do you desire? What do you want? What do you post on Facebook? What do you say to your friends? What does that do to your missional gospel engagement in this city? And I think he felt left out. I think he felt cheated. I think this dude in this text felt taken advantage of. He felt, he felt slighted. I think he believed that his brother was being selfish. And so because of his desire to receive like a fair shake in this circumstance of life, he comes to Jesus and he asks him to get him half of the inheritance that he believed was rightly his, right? Jesus, the cool thing about Jesus is that he's not playing these games with him. Like Jesus doesn't play these games. He doesn't even really engage the conversation in a way that you and I would hope that he would. Because if it's me, right, if it's me, I'm hoping that Jesus will come over and be like, oh, oh, come here, Joey. It's okay. Let me just pat you on the back. Let me kiss you on the forehead. It's going to be okay. Like we'll work on getting you what you deserve. Like I want somebody to console me, to make me feel better, right? To encourage me in those moments, to help me understand that everything is just going to be all right. It's kind of like that song. Don't worry about a thing, because every little thing is going to be all right. Like you guys can sing the song with me, can't you? <laughs> like, like instinctively deep down inside, this is what we want. This is the way we view our Father in heaven. When we say, yeah, God, we'll treasure you. We'll treasure you if you're what we want. But then when, when, when God shows up and isn't necessarily what we expect him to be, do we still treasure him? See, Jesus isn't playing games with this dude. I mean, notice Jesus' response. He says this. He's like, he's like hey, man. He's like, like, like in our terms, hey, dude, like you need to hear this. Who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Like the reality is that Jesus wasn't there to settle family squabbles. That's not, that's, that's, not, that's not what Jesus came to do was to settle family squabbles. He didn't come to be the counselor for everybody who had issues in their families. That, that wasn't Jesus' deal, right? Not what Jesus' calling was. That wasn't part of the plan that was written before the foundations of the earth. He didn't come to earth to be a relational conflict manager. He didn't come to give great marital counseling. He didn't come so that we could leverage our relationships with him to gain worldly possessions. Jesus knew that his purpose on earth was singular. And his purpose on earth was to come to earth to save sinners, to change the way that we think, act, speak, and live. This was the purpose of Christ. And so Jesus continues, right? His response to this selfish man, because if you haven't caught that yet, this, guy, this guy's like, hey, are you going to talk to my brother? Because my brother's really selfish. He kept everything. He's treating me really poorly. The reality is this man's being selfish too. I want what's mine. I want what I deserve. Give it to me. Get that for me now. He's really a very selfish man. So Jesus basically says this. He says, man, take care. Like, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, when Jesus speaks to this man, he's saying, be careful how you live. Guard your lives. Protect yourself against covetousness. Covetousness is selfishly desiring what you do not have that other people do have. All right? You wish you had the marriage that somebody else had? Wish you had the church that somebody else had? Wish you had the elders that somebody else had? Wish you had the car that somebody else had. Wish you had the job that somebody else had. Most of us say, no, I, I never really think that. But, but the reality is deep down inside, we are controlled by those desires, and those motivations 
often, if not always. Jesus says, do not let your life be consumed, controlled, defined, driven, or revolving around what you do not have or what you do have. So we we have to wrestle with what God is saying in this text to us as, as God kind of confronts this issue. We have to ask these questions. What does our lives revolve around? How often do you find yourself daydreaming about what could have been? And if someone were to describe your life, how would they describe what is important to you? How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? What consumes your thinking? What do you complain about? What are your deepest dreams? What frustrates you? What does your life revolve around? Listen, what we're learning here connects to the gospel, and it connects to the gospel this way, because Jesus came so that people who have been foolish with life could find true life in him. People who have been foolish in believing that life existed in the here and now and what's in front of us, that we could actually find true and good and lasting peaceful and joyful life in Christ as we learn to treasure him. And my desire is that we would all realize the foolish ways we've attempted to live our lives in pursuit of the next big thing. We've all felt slighted. We've all desired to have more. We've all felt taken advantage of. We've all felt left out. We've all wanted our fair shake. We've all dreamed about what it would be like to finally arrive at some state of living that seems more legitimate than it was yesterday. My prayer is that this realization would help us to recognize and to remember and even just to become thirsty and hungry, thirsty and hungry for the transforming work, the message of the gospel in such a way that we would treasure Christ above all other things. And here's another problem. Our problem number two is that sometimes we're foolish with our souls. Like when the wheels fall off the bus, when conflict sets in, when things don't go the way that we perceive they should, when we don't reach our functional heaven that we're trying to get to because we believe that's going to make life A-OK now, when things don't go the way that you wish it would, when our dreams of our preferred futures don't bring comfort to our souls, we look to bring peace. We look to bring peace to our souls by moving to the right neighborhoods, by building bigger houses, developing some type of retirement funds, joining a new ministry, buying a brand new truck, buying new motorcycles, finding a different wife, drinking a different brand of beer, whatever it may be, whatever it may be that you or I may look to, to find our peace, to, to comfort our souls. When, when Christ has not been the thing that comforts our souls, we begin to look externally. And the reality is our soul is a wreck and it's a mess. We seek to accomplish great things, right? So that we can hopefully someday purchase that like vacation getaway in the mountains so that we can just kind of get away from everybody. Like we look forward to our retirements, that becomes our functional heaven as well. We begin, to, we begin to treasure that. And in essence, we become very foolish. And we live out of these foolish places of our hearts thinking that that would bring the comfort to our souls that we desire. Man, Jesus addresses this issue as well in verses 16 through 19. And he says this. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. <laughs> I'm smart. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. That's what I'll do. And there I will store all my grain, my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Did Jesus teach us in these verses that a, that a fool's soul is self-absorbed? Catch that. A fool's soul is self-absorbed or self-protecting or self-promoting or self-preserving or self-expressing. And notice with me that if you notice in this story, man, the wealthy man in this story is literally talking to himself about himself. He's talking to himself about himself. In fact, he uses the personal pronoun I no less than six times and even speaks to his own soul about where he will find comfort, rest, relaxation, refreshment, and joy. 
And the place that this man believes that he will find all of the good things to bring refreshment and relaxation to his soul is where? It's where? It's in himself. He believes that in himself he will find refreshment for his soul. He's saying, my soul is a wreck. And the only place I can turn to is deep within me to find what's going to fix me. Like, I'm a wreck, and so I'm going to look to my wrecked up self to save me. That's what this man is saying. It's interesting to note. But this rich man, like, he has a problem that is different than most of us, right? His problem is that he has too much stuff. Most of us in this room would not attest to having too much stuff, though maybe if we were honest, maybe we do have too much stuff. Like, how much stuff do I have in my attic at home? Too much. How much stuff do I have in my garage? Too much. So most of us probably do have too much stuff, right? Even when we think we don't have enough stuff. This man had too much But he actually asked himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? Man, wouldn't that be a nice problem? To be like, I have way too many crops. I have way too much money in my bank account. What do I do with all of it? It won't even fit. Like, what what would we do? We'd spend it. We'd spend it on everything that we believe would bring us rest. Wouldn't that be a nice problem? And the real problem is that this man doesn't understand the real problem because the real problem is not answering the question about where he's going to store his overabundance of stuff. The reality is he could have solved this problem by giving away his abundance of stuff to people who had need. That's the reality. Would have solved this problem real quick. But the reality and the problem is in this man's self-absorbed soul. He actually believes that he will find rest, relaxation, comfort, refreshment, and joy in the stockpiling of his possessions. And we've got to wrestle with this too. We've got to continue to ask these questions. Where do you turn to to find rest for your weary soul? What does that look like for you? What do you dream about when you begin to understand that your soul is in deep need of relaxation? What do you attempt to say to your soul when you need to find some sort of comfort from the problems of life? What refreshes the hunger and the thirst of your soul for more? What you do not have that you cannot keep. What brings true joy to you that outlasts the momentary pleasure of worldly happiness? Where do you search for peace? What calms your anxiousness in your soul? What do you hope in? What are you attempting to accomplish? What we're learning here connects to the gospel in this way. Like what we are learning here connects to the gospel because the reality is that we have all been foolish with our souls. All of us. We all have attempted to find rest and relaxation, refreshment, comfort, joy in created things rather than in the creator of our very souls. Jesus is the creator of all things. The only place that our souls will find the rest and the refreshment that we need. That's why the scriptures say, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest rest apart from christ and listen apart from christ all these words that i am preaching tonight are useless and powerless to bring any healing to our sin-stricken weary souls apart from christ apart from christ we are only self-absorbed fools attempting to find healing within our foolish selves last problem Another problem in the text is that sometimes we are foolish with what we are treasure. Not just we've been foolish with our lives and foolish with our souls, but sometimes we are foolish with what we treasure as well. Sometimes we find that the things that we hold dear to us will fade away. Sometimes because of our fear of losing things, losing relationships, losing friendships, being rejected, not being popular, Fear of failing completely in marriage or at our jobs. Sometimes because of fear. Of all the things that we could gain in this life, we work extra hard to build up reserves. Or to preserve the things that we have collected. Sometimes we're willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to accomplish the earning of a title or the acquisition of a friend's positive opinion. 
Sometimes we invest insane amounts of time, talent, treasure, energy, and resource to gain the things that we believe will make us appear better than we really are. Sometimes our greatest treasure is us. And when our greatest treasure becomes us, that's when God ceases to be the greatest pursuit and treasure of our lives. How does the text address this problem? And look with me again. Look back at verses 20 through 21. Jesus wraps up this story. It says, God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And in these verses we learn that a, a fool's treasure is not God. A fool's treasure is his things. His treasure is in what he has prepared for himself. His treasure is what he has accomplished. His, his treasure is what he can do for himself. His treasure is, is the things of this earth. His treasure in reality is himself. And we have to wrestle with this as well. We have to ask questions of what's happening deep within our hearts and our lives. Like, what, what's happening deep within you? Are you rich towards God's today? Do you, do you value him? Do you treasure him above all else? What would it look like for you to treasure Christ above all other pursuits? Do you hold Christ dear to you? Do you fear that, that what you may have to give up to follow Christ is far too great? Would you be willing to give your life to Christ for the sake of the eternal health of your soul? Is Christ your most valuable possession? Are you willing to invest your time, your talent, your treasure, your life, your soul, and all of your resources into pursuing the presence of Christ? What we're learning here connects to the gospel because we, we've all forgotten that, that this earth isn't our final resting place. It's not our final destination. All the things that you and I do don't matter here this face of earth this side of heaven on the face of this earth all that matters is where we're headed to and the hope that you and i have is in christ and christ alone and the fact that he saves us it changes us we've all forgotten that if we are in christ we are but aliens living in a foreign land we do not belong here heaven is our paradise just because we have some good things stored up here on earth doesn't mean that the eternal destination of our souls is assured. All the things that we accomplish or treasure here on earth will waste away and rot and be eaten by bugs. Or if we've done well with our earthly belongings, other people will come and argue over them after our funeral is over because they, just like we, are no different than the man at the beginning of our passage today. More concerned with worldly and physical things. We are foolish. We've all been foolish with our lives. We've all been foolish with our souls. We've all been foolish with what we treasure. This is the reason to trust in Christ. Because in Christ we find the eternal treasure that our souls long for. Like, like, like for some of you here, you're like me. That to confess those things and to admit those things doesn't feel joyful. And the reality is that we struggle to confess and to repent of our foolishness because we're still living with a mask in front of us. We're still pulling scripts out of our pockets and repeating the things that we think we must say to make the cut. We've not found the joyness, the joyful presence of Christ to be the one thing that continues to bring more joy, more rest, more relaxation, and more comfort to our souls and our lives and our hearts. We, we've not found that, and that's why it's hard for us to confess and to repent and to rest in the finished work that Christ did. We would rather, we would rather reject, I would rather, I would rather reject the love of God because the love of God is too scandalous for me. I would rather reject the scandalous love of God for me because if I reject that, then I get to work for it. Then I get to earn it. 
And I get to walk around frustrated, beaten down, and weary. Every day I'll put my little Christian smile on and be like, hey, it's okay. Like, I'm, I'm okay. It's all right. It's good. Yeah, let me meet with you. I can solve your problems. I can be the hero. So then I can, I can get my identity there. Rather than just in confessing, I'm really limited. I have a lot of limitations. So I think when we move to a place where we can just truly confess, like, I'm really limited. I really struggle in a lot of areas. I just don't make the cut. And that's why Jesus is so good. Like, that's what brings joy to worship. When you realize that you're not just singing songs on a page or on a screen, but that you're actually singing, you're leading your soul to sing and to turn your attention to Christ in heaven who has done all the work and you don't have to work anymore. Like you have to strive, yes. Strive to live holy. Strive to live well. But rest. Rest in the accomplished work of Christ at the cross. This is where true eternal joy that surpasses momentary worldly happiness is found. Is your life lacking the presence of Christ today? Is your soul thirsty for the things that are not of the kingdom of God? Man, then they're like, just join in this passage. Understand that just as Jesus was standing in the presence of these people, he's standing in the presence of us this evening. We don't gather around great preaching. We don't gather around good music. We gather around the presence of Christ in our midst. And we beg him to do work in our hearts. We beg him to take foolish people and help us to treasure him. So let me invite our music team forward as we wrap this up. As we wrap this up, I want to say that my prayer is that anybody that hears this message, that what you would hear and that what you would see is the sufficiency of Christ to be everything that our souls long for. My prayer is that we would all see that in Christ we can find rest from our working and our striving to earn or to be accepted or to overcome sin. And in Christ we find refreshment for our parched and dry souls that feel overworked and empty. In Christ, listen, in Christ, we find the space to relax and to trust that Jesus has everything taken care of. In Christ, we find comfort from the difficult circumstances of life. We find Christ to be our true, eternal joy not in the stockpiling of things or the accomplishment of goals. In Christ, we find comfort. In Christ, we, we are set free from being foolish people who have attempted to bring healing to our lives and to our souls through our foolish and self-absorbed attempts at gaining more worldly treasure to increase our quality of living. Jesus saves people. Jesus saves foolish people and he gives us new life and he gives us new souls so that we can treasure him above all other things. And that's what communion is all about. So I invite our communion servers to come to the front. As we wrap up our time together, our response to this message, as we recognize the foolishness of the ways that we've lived, of the ways that we've tried to bring comfort to our souls, and as we've seen the foolishness of what we actually treasure, and then as we look at the gloriousness and the grandness and the beauty of the cross of Christ, as we see this sinless person who came and gave himself so that we can confess our sin, repent of our foolishness, and find true and everlasting joy and hope in him, not in the words of a preacher, not in the words of a book on your shelf, not in the soothing sounds of a song, but in the picture of a broken and bloody Savior whom we trust in to take foolish people and help us to treasure him day by day. For some of you that are here that you don't believe that, if you're not at that point, we're not asking you to engage in something that holds no meaning for you. We don't want to force you into that. 
if this moment is that moment for you where you're like, you know what, something happened in these moments and I believe. I believe that Christ is my all in all. I believe that Christ is my everything. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know what's going to happen from this point forward. But I do know that I am helpless and hopeless and foolish without him. And even with him, I'm still foolish. But at least I'm not hopeless. Because in Christ, in treasuring Christ, we find all that there is to treasure as we recognize how much he treasured us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this evening. Thank you for your word. Pray, Lord God, that as we engage the participation of communion, that we would remember your deep, deep love for foolish and simple people and that we would be encouraged by that. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Thanks for letting me preach tonight. I do love you guys a ton. Let's worship and take communion together. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.